ハローリスナーの皆さん。Episode 80, finally. Episode 80 of Finding Japan. And yes, this is your very lazy intermittent host, Terrence. Hopefully back with a pretty good episode. I interview a good buddy of mine, Todd Rosinski, in this episode. And the reason for interviewing him、uh, has to do with the way we met. We met at the Aldgate Pub in Shibuya. And we do talk about this a little bit in the episode, in the interview itself. And it was interesting because I was talking with another friend about wanting to find someone to interview and also overhearing his conversation and eventually having a drunken, hazy conversation with him in which he talks about knowing, having met. I'm not quite sure about the Dave Chappelle thing, and we don't talk about it in this conversation, but I'm sure we'll get to it in future episodes because this was a long conversation and there was still a whole lot more to go. So think of this. Today's episode is part one, and there's probably going to be a part two and maybe a part three with Todd. But he also mentions Jay Moore, who happens to be a good friend of his from, I guess, both, you know, a way back when they were both in、uh, NYC and were roommates with each other. And you'll hear more, a little bit more about Jay and that whole encounter in the interview.、Uh, for now, I just wanted to give a little bit of a roadmap. Uh, it's a bit meandering. I go through stuff about、uh, or interview, ask him questions about his beginnings in Japan and what's he up to these days. And、uh, I don't know, I don't remember if we go too much into the future. This was two weeks ago. I don't have the greatest memory. But we do talk about his、uh, past, his coming to Japan, kind of his history. And as I mentioned, a little bit about Jay. And it's an interesting little conversation. It starts off with、um, we are at his secret office at a secret university campus. I'm making air quotes that you can't see. I think it just makes me feel comfortable to make air quotes. You can probably kind of tell from my voice where I make those air quotes. Why am I going on, that, going on about that? I don't know. But、uh, we start off the conversation with a little bit of administrative talk and Something that gets into a part of Japan that a lot of foreigners will understand is the bureaucracy, the paperwork, the procedures, the rules that cannot be bent and that are made by the institution, but the institution seems to think that these are lo- nature, laws of nature when they are not. And sometimes they can be very frustrating. So、uh, Todd was dealing with some administrative,、uh, I guess he has a kind of a budget or a,、uh, what do we call it in English? A fund or a fee? Ah, research allocation? Anyways, he has to、uh, report how much he spent and all that kind of stuff. So we started talking about that, and he was、uh, just before this interview, he was、uh, downstairs in the office working that out with the administrative staff person. So that's where it starts. It's a bit meandery, but I hope you enjoy it. And、uh, Jeanne, see you on the other side.
Don't move, dog. Stand your ground. Be pleasant. Don't move. She's like, <laughs> I did my best to say that kind yeah. of stuff, but you know, not blaming them. I'm just saying, yeah, I was surprised. And looked at each other more, and she was like, I'll, I'll cross out yeah. these things and I'll handle it. And I went, That's good. Yeah, when you live in Japan a long time, you know how sometimes those things are a big deal. Like taking a document to the bank and one zero was like, I miswrote it's like kind of scraggled. And they're just like, You need to go back to the university and get this form again. Right. I'm like, What? I, mm. Man, I banged my bag against the door. I was so angry. The Bank of Japan. I don't care about the Bank of Japan. You have a freaking hanko. This is like 15 years ago and it still makes me upset. I'm like, nah. <laughs> to this day. More than 15 years ago. Man. I had blowouts at the bank all the time. Yeah, the bank is... Yeah. Well, I personally, I, I hate banks, number one. So it's been I think none of us love banks. And yeah. then the things about Japanese bureaucracy and paperwork and obstinance <clears throat> that just like drives you even more insane. You have to try not to let that history you can't let that residue pile up because right. they're not seeing all you know that's your right. backstory that's your baggage exactly yeah you know why you is this guy come in yeah. pissed off yeah what what like yeah i've done that before there's a great story that i don't know if it's true or not but i love it um this guy was leaving japan are we on well uh, yeah because you can edit right yeah and i hope yeah. this, i hope the sound level <clears> thing work all right i'm just gonna roll with it this is glasses cleaner by the way despite what it looks like um this guy was leaving Japan and he had like, I don't know, some onion in the bank. And uh, he brought his passport and he brought his um, book, but he didn't have his hanko, something like that. But he was like literally going to the airport. And uh, they said, sorry, you know, we're going to keep your money. We're going to keep your money. So back and forth, back and forth. Then he calls the police and says, you know, Dorobo. <laughs> I thought about that. If you ever get into some situation where you can't, like, you have three pieces of ID on you, it's obviously you. It's not like thousands and thousands of dollars. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you call a manager. You go. Normally, we we ask for Hanko. You know, please yeah. sign here. Whatever. Jump through the hoops to make it look good for you. Yeah. And then give the person their money. Yeah. Because it's his money. Yeah. So they he really needed the money, and he was going away yeah. forever, and he had international IDs in his hand. Yeah. One, I should say. So uh, he calls the police and the police show up. And they're like, Dorsta, Dorsta. He's like, they stole my money. <laughs> and they backed off and they gave him his money. But he had to call the police to do it. Oh, man. Yeah. I thought about that. That's cool that that's, if that's the true story. That yeah. is so cool because I have thought about that scenario. I have no idea if it's true. I've had that fantasy. Yeah, right? that fantasy. Um, I had another one. Um, so my, my wife was pregnant. I used to take the train to go to the video store in Ikebukuro. It wasn't far. It was a five-minute train. But I had to get on a train. So I, every day I would talk to the manager there, talk about the new movies, because at the time I owned two video stores, right? You used to be a – you used to own a video – I owned two video two stores. Video, you had a technically a friend uh, – not a franchise. What do we call it when it's uh, – not a chain. A chain, I guess. You call it a couple. Yeah. Um, the chain, like one link. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, there were three stores, but two of them were sold to my sister-in-law and I. Um 
And of course, they went out of business, and I planned that they would go out of mm-hmm. business, but they went out a couple of years before I wanted them to. But the point is, I had these two stores in Maui, and uh, so I would talk to this manager all the time. It's Gail, I forget which one it was, and Nikki Bukuro. And um, one day, uh, my ID was expired. Right. Oh, here we so, go. Yeah. So I said, it's not one day. It's every year. You know, that's how it. Right. 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 Every year, like as right. if it's the DMV. You yeah. know, it's like it's video yep. rental. Do you really need one year expiration yep. dates? Yep. So my fault. Right. So uh, I I said, hey, he said, do you have your Geico uh, Vision Torok show? And I said, I do not have it right now. It's a thing about me. I have a kind of a send me home wish sometimes that I don't carry it around. You don't yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Deport me. That's back in the thumbprint days, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I see the manager and he's like, sorry, that's the rule. And I start going nuts in very bad Japanese. You know, rules are created by people. There's humanity in rules. And I just went nuts and say, you know, we're not a bunch of animals here. And then somebody behind me went, see what I said? I went, you should. <laughs> you know, basically he, he backed off in a hurry. But um, you know, the thing is, I was not getting a video that day, mm-hmm. even though I was in there renting I don't know, 10 a week or so, which is crazy. You know, I'm, I was a video store owner. If somebody comes in and rents 10, 10 a week, yeah. I want to give them a free, you know, candy. It's a regular. You're yeah. supposed to hook them up. Yeah. It didn't happen here. But then I told the story to the guy at the Indian restaurant down the street, and he goes, oh, I know the owner of the building. And I said, do you? It's the, the Rosa building in Ikibukuro. But Okay. Anyway. Which is not the... That Staya's in that building. Yeah. He knows the owner. Not, yeah. Nothing to do with Staya. It's the owner of the building. Right. But I wonder. I wonder if it had more to do with it. Because the next thing I knew, a week later, he's like, I want you to come into the Indian restaurant and talk to this guy and tell him what happened. So this this old man was there and he, he said, is that right? Wow. I'll take care well, of this. Is this like the Godfather? Yeah. Yeah. He goes, he goes I'll take care of this. Right. Wouldn't you love this old Japanese man? And he actually play, is playing the Godfather music. And you're just like, <laughs> what? He's stroking a cat. And you're just like, really? Is right. this really happening? I was teaching at Rikyo at the time. The next thing I do, next thing I see, that manager's passing out flyers in front of Rikyo. Oh no! <laughs> and he sees me and he's like, "Go to the side, go to the side." Oh man! I'm like, "So you got a new job now? Is that what you're doing?" He goes, "Go to the side." By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this a ruiner of people's lives. Mm. Is I'm not Ru- proud of it. Todd Rasinski today on Finding Japan. I'm not proud of it. I yeah. struggled with that. I really struggled, but I don't know. I, I'm bad at paperwork. I'm bad at numbers. I don't want my students to ever give me their student number. I know faces and names. Human. It's human. Hey, you know, it happens sometimes. Yeah. So you got questions? Yeah. So why are we here today? That is a good question. How did we meet? Because I think it was pretty interesting. We were at the good old Aldgate. My favorite bar. My favorite. I call it my office, actually. It's one of my favorite bars ever, too. Yeah, it's definitely in Tokyo. In my easily in my top three. Do you want to talk about why? I just think it's super comfortable. It's non-smoky. Yeah, it's super comfortable. It's non-smoky, a technical it's, term. Yeah, it's a non-smokalitis something. I don't know. Um, it's not a chain, which is always. I don't mind like if a small business owner has two or three branches, but this is not like a you know, right. national chain. It's a right. one-off bar. He does only have one, right? Yeah, he and does. he's there. Yeah, five days a week at least. Yeah. And they just, you know, it's cheers where everyone knows your name. You know, it's true. Just, I like that vibe. Yeah. I can add to that that it's not a pickup bar. Yeah. I, mean, I, I see it that way. I don't, yeah. I have not had any luck picking up. <laughs> I've been going to, not without F. Well, I, gotta, I get a number sometimes or, oh, there's Tokyo, Target Tokyo. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, it's not a, I don't go in there with the expectation. I go more in the expectation of someone knows my name and I can say hi and, right. have, you know, some kind of human connection with someone while I have a kind of expensive beer. But Right. Because whenever you walk in, I am there, right? These days. We do run into each other yeah. quite a bit at the old, old game. Yeah. So, so the first time though. No, but I, I feel good though, because I, I can bring anyone there, my people that I worked with at NHK. And there will be comments. In fact, the NHK MC came in and some Canadian guy said, you're the most attractive woman I've ever seen in my life. But it wasn't a pickup thing. It was just an observation. And it actually happened again. Somebody else who was on NHK, mm -hmm. uh, Mika. Ah. Yeah. That happened to her the day that you saved her, actually. That's but it, right. But it wasn't a big save. It wasn't that yeah. big. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to admit, I, I was not completely free of ulterior motives myself. I think at one time <laughs> I moved her hair back from her ear or something. She has very cute ears that stick out a little bit. She does. She's very yeah. shy. Intensely shy. Really? Yes, she is. She's huh. hard to get out. Huh. So I feel very protective when she does come out. Yeah, although she is like an actress and stuff, right? That's she her. is. Yeah. And she can be completely wild. And I mean, on the Yeah, you can see screen. where she can turn that on or that skill set. That, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So the first time we met, I don't remember, but it's all in the haze of drinking. It but is. the reason it's so interesting is because um, I think I was there with Tom, and I was already that was that the night I was I was recording an episode with Tom where we were talking about uh, it. I think so. And then somehow we got into conversation with you, and you know, you, you already seemed like yeah, I'll I'll be interviewed. Or I think Tom said, why don't you go and ask him what's Want to be interviewed because you were so interesting and because you were talking about that first night. I think you mentioned coming from New York and uh, knowing Jay Moore and uh, everything kind of like went like Dave Chappelle. I remember. Yeah. That. Yes. And I was like, who is this guy who knows these people? And then, of course, at first you think like, is this guy one of those like, right. this is a chronic liar, is yes. a pathological liar? And you're just like, mm, I don't know. But he seems friendly. <laughs> he seems willing to <laughs> to bite or you know to you know to tell stories. So. Well, I'll follow this trail a little bit. I stopped telling stories for a while because people just think you're lying. Yeah. And I... I think where I went, then I think we somehow like exchanged Facebook or something, right? And then I think you got in touch with me later. And so I'm always thinking my, my, my litmus test for that is people say a bunch of things and then you exchange information, yeah. they get back to you. And the way you just like casually got back to me, is like, okay, this guy's probably for real. Because okay. if he was playing something, he would just let it, you know, it would have been like, hey, I'm saying all this bullshit and I'm going to disappear. Or, yeah. You know. Yeah. I think it's always weird that, uh, I think you always get caught if you just say a bunch of bullshit, as yeah. you said. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's some dead time. Oh, I'm going to let it sit, too. I'm, <laughs> I'm not nervous about silences. Uh, this is where I get to, I don't know if I'm the most experienced interviewer, but I I have I'm fairly confident in my interview skills. Okay. Yeah. I had so, a friend who wrote a paper on the uh, what to do with silence in the classroom, which is a huge issue in Japan, right? It was all about being calm for silence and letting it letting it rise. Isn't that more of a lack of participation problem? Well, I wonder. But the thing is, I, I went to Kathmandu with him where he gave the presentation. And that is never a problem in Nepal, Nepalese schools. Yeah. And he said, I just gave a 90-minute talk and they just looked at me like I was a madman who would ever be quiet in the classroom. So anyway, I'm off track. No, the students from that part of the world can are 
yeah, when I used to teach and I had international students, they were the only, often the only ones who would raise their hands, ask questions, um, you know, interact. And yeah. it is hard to get Japanese students to interact sometimes. Yeah. There's, I have 20 years of techniques, um, but it doesn't make it easier all the time. I mean, you still have to try. Yep. So like many of us, you are in the uh, English teaching. Racket. Yeah. I came here 20 years ago, 23 years ago next week. Well, actually, March 15th, so two weeks. That's, yeah, that's right. an, an anniversary. 23 is a weird number, but yeah, 23 is like a weird Jordan's number. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 23 years ago, no job, no contacts, no place to live. About $300 in my pocket. My hair was almost down to my waist, and it was platinum blonde because I've been in Hawaii for three months letting the sun hit it. I've seen a few photos of your long hair. Yeah. So, uh, so you want to know why? Why Japan? Why Japan? Yeah. The question on the show is always, how did you find Japan? Okay. Um, we can go back before that. I mean, take like, a little bit of your background if you, you know, yeah, just simple where you're from kind of thing. Yeah. I grew up in upstate New York, um, about a five hour drive from New York city on Lake Ontario. It's a town called Oswego, New York. Oswego. It's kind of famous, right? No, not at all. That sounds familiar. It sounds like one of those small places that you kind of in the back of your head know you've heard of before. It's got a state university there, and that's about it. Okay. There's no um, famous weird statue, world's <laughs> largest giant like hot dog memorial, you know, like one, you know, those towns that try to make themselves famous by having the weirdest, like the largest stuffed cow in the world. There's some town in Texas no. somewhere. Um, I mean, it's, it's really pretty. It's on the lake. Um, and uh, so close to Canada, we can get you know, on Channel 11 from Kingston, Canada. Al Roker went to Oswego State. Um, rumor has it uh, Seinfeld was up there for a semester and so was uh, Will Ferrell. All right. But I'm not sure. Check so that. strangely one of those small little places where there's kind of a concentration of more than more than one or two famous people who kind of either pass through or... You get the New York City people or Long Island thinking, okay, I want to get away from, you know, New York City, so I'm going to go upstate to the, you know, the hinterland. Yeah. And... That's where it is. And New York has a pretty extensive uh, state school system. So there's right. a lot of places to go that are kind of out, you know. Yeah. That school system saved my town, I think, as far as intellectually speaking. Hmm. I mean, it, there's a couple of nuclear plants there. Okay. okay. So people made money working at the nuclear plants. And, uh, you know, my father is a, a painter, house painter, maintenance, you know, kind of person who worked there. And he would... Uh, get radiation levels high enough so he would get time off. My brother and him were doing that all the time. Oh, wow. You would get checked every few and he, months. And it's nothing that's going to immediately give you cancer, yeah, but who knows? enough to, you he's need 70, to back off sometimes. He's going to be 77 this year, and I guess he's okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Could be like a superhero thing where it actually yeah. gave him powers. Right. That's when some, someone told me about that about Fukushima, actually. Todd, don't worry. The body adjusts or it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So when people ask me, I always say, we don't know yet, do we? No, so, we don't. Yeah. So uh, what were we talking about? Okay, so we go. Um, so yeah, my parents were 100% from there. But all my friends, my closest friends were most of the college professor's kids. So, you know, half Japanese or Indian, first family from India. Um, yeah, I think it kind of saved the, uh, the town. But uh, anyway, so uh, I moved away from there two days after high school to get out. 
Where'd you go? I went to Boston University. I, 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 uh, I worked a job up there that summer before that, but then I studied abroad in England at Oxford, only six months, and then NYU for college, uh, graduate school. So Japan, though, started, I mean, the first thing I ever saw was, you know, Godzilla, Saturday mornings, and uh, all these people running from the monster. Just and, as a kid on TV, yeah, they, would, they yeah. would play a Godzilla movie. Yeah, their voices were moving, you know, different from their lips. And I was like, what is wrong with these people? Why, why don't their lips match? So your yeah. experience with that was with Godzilla movies, because my experience with that is, uh, of course, Kung Fu movies. You know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And this is great, right? Because the line delivery, too, is also like, you cannot be, I will defeat you with my golden monkey claw skills. <laughs> right. And their mouth is moving all over the place. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Godzilla movies. Yeah. Kind of like there's a place called Japan where giant monsters knock over high-speed trains. Right. And it made me feel better about, about my life. You know, I'm like, wow, these people have it really messed up, right? <laughs> so, you know, but I'd like to see it someday. So I get to um, high school and... Japan is peaking. I mean, the bubble is there. It's 1985, but... It's the start. It's, yeah. the, it's the bubble is going. Yeah. yeah. So it's that's the peak, but it's the... Uh, that's when I yeah. graduated from high school. But that was when uh, Ishihara, the, the, the... Ishihara Yujiro, the actor? The mayor. Oh, Ishihara, the brother, yeah. So the younger brother, right. Ishihara Shin, Shintaro. Right. He wrote the Japan that could say no. Yeah, okay? that's right. Basically, the Japan that says yeah. no. He also wrote a great novel back when he was I heard before that. he was a douchebag. He I actually, heard that he's actually a literary brilliant like writer. I heard that he wasn't always a douchebag. Yeah, it's the uh, what's it? Oh, what's the book called? It's really famous. I read it a while back. Yeah, it's good. It's like a little bit of a kind of a lost generation kind of Japanese twenty teens twenties in the in the sixties seventies kind of a little bit counterculture. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he wrote that book and. Even though, Taiyo something, Sun something. Yeah. yeah. But anyways. No, but the Japan that could say Japan, no book. Yeah. I forgot what it's called in Japanese. But Yeah. He wrote it with someone, right? It was kind of a big deal because it was this whole thing about Japan, like not just being like subservient to the West. or It was bigger than that. I mean, it was basically, you know, we don't have to listen to you ever again. We have nothing to learn from you, America. Shut up. Yeah. And even though I was only graduating from high school, I, th- I thought, wow, <laughs> this is going to come back to haunt them. Yeah. Then he write it with the... The Sony guy. Did he? I think he wrote it. Like, they may have had another ghostwriter. He could actually write, so he probably didn't write it. But yeah. I think he did it with, in cooperation. Someone with, Googled think, this. Or... Yeah, the problem is I don't yeah. want to be clickly clacking while we're talking. So right. we'll just let it. But yeah, the Japan, that was the impression or that was that book. Did you actually read it or you just heard it came out? And you kind no, of... I heard about it. And then you watch the media all the time. And it was fascinating because... Um, they would show Japan as a worker's paradise. And, you know, wow, Japanese families all go to the mountains together on corporate retreats every weekend. I'm like, wow, that's pretty interesting. It's Mm -hmm. nice to keep people happy. And Japanese people will buy a television for double the price in Japan that we pay here, even though they don't have to. And they'd interview these guys at the Shibuya Crossing. Why would you pay double the price? We're Japanese. We take pride in our work. And I'm like, wow, this is really messed up. I got to go and check these people out, right? Um, Not a lot of this turned out to be true, but it was fascinating. And it just seemed so much like the other, you know? I was always, I mean, from the time I studied at Oxford in 88, I was always traveling. And uh, you had a question, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. I I was just thinking about, um, did it coincide with... um, uh, what was that movie? Uh, Rising Sun, Michael Crichton, like a little bit of yeah. the, the American fear because of the economic rise of Japan. 
And you know, like you mentioned, yeah, we're we have we're we're proud as Japanese. We'll buy the expensive Japanese Sony TV and then also sell it to you guys. And that thing, you know, and I remember talking to friends, American friends, who told me like in the '80s, like oh, I'm never buying a Japanese car. That's a rice, you know, rice mobile. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you she know, never had that though. Feeling the fear of the Japanese economic prowess and the you know American industry and american economic might at the time like japanese were buying up you know they bought right. the rockefeller center and i'll tell you about that i actually have a good story about that i shouldn't preface it like that but <laughs> it's gonna be the worst story yeah ever. right it better be good um yeah see i never had that if i can talk about you know this whole america first thing or you know even japan first i don't ever have those feelings um, when I was in, like, even my first years of high school, whenever an exchange student came to our small town, they came to me. And I don't know why that is. It's just maybe they saw my head up and they saw me quickly see them as a person. Somebody from Panama, somebody from Spain, I would show them around. And it wasn't like it was my job. It just came to me all the time because I didn't treat them as a foreign person. So something in my DNA, I think, just said you should root for the world first instead of a certain country. Okay, and I don't want this to get too, you know, cliche. Yeah, Pollyanna. Right. But, it's, you know. but I, I read this article that only 15% of the people in the world consider themselves citizens of the world. That's that's an interesting statistic. Yeah, I got to check that. Because that's insane. I mean, that not, this, not, not the idea of considering yourself part of the world is that only 15% or that people don't understand. Like they think they can just live in their contained, you know, their, their nationally contained, linguistically contained culture, eth ethnicity environment now. You yeah. Know, people don't realize that right. the things that happen in one country actually do affect you know, the other parts of the world. And when people don't see those connections and think they can just kind of hide in the the fortress of their own culture. Yeah. Um, so I never felt, you know, I, when I saw all the Japanese stuff going on, I did think, well, there's a bit, bit of bravado there that's going to kick him in the face someday. Okay. And like I said, I was pretty young, but it just makes sense. You know, no matter how big a country gets, it's going to go in cycles and it may even just fall. Right. So, um, but I thought, okay, there's stuff to learn here. Just like right now, I think there's stuff to learn in China. Okay, I really want to know what's real and what's making this work. And, and so um, the Rockefeller Center thing you mentioned, right? Um, I was actually taking the train up to my job. I took a year off before I went to graduate school. So I had this really bad job. I was, I was a, it was fun. I was a waiter at TGI Fridays. And uh, feeling pretty bad about myself. Okay. Yeah, no wonder you like TGI Fridays. I yeah. didn't know you were a waiter there. Yeah. Well, I, I know what's good about it, okay? It is, you know, it don't is. tell anybody I go there, but I do. Fridays, That's Shibuya, happy hour. In and out. Happy hour, end of happy hour, then you leave. We've spent a couple of happy hours there. There's good people there. Yeah, it's fun. There are good people there. I don't um, go too often, but when I do. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, the price for the drink, there's probably no better happy hour in Tokyo. So... Um, so I'm going to my job, not feeling too good about myself because some guy's telling me how a French fry should look before it goes on the table. And, you know, I, I just studied at Oxford. <laughs> so, um, but it was good to, you know, get beaten back into reality. But these guys across the way from me on the subway were saying, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Japanese. And they didn't call them the Japanese. I'm sure mm -hmm. they just bought Rockefeller center. We're going to work for them. We fought over there. 
and we kicked their asses and now we're going to work for them. You know, I saw the guys, I saw soldiers going to work and that's just a mind blowing thing for them. Right. And, and my first thought was, well, what can we learn from them? You know, what can we do there? And so I think all this stayed in my mind that, yeah, I've got to go there someday. But it wasn't go there to live. It was go there to check things out. Yeah. Um, one thing about the citizen of the world thing is you're, you're never going to have the kind of loyalty that some people have for one place. But what you want to do is pick out what is good about everywhere and try to use it to make your life better, to make other people's lives better. Right. And uh, yeah. So I remember the good and the bad. I mean, my first experience meeting a Japanese person, 1988, after Oxford, I had saved up I don't know, $600 for six weeks in Europe. I get, I'm staying. You could do Europe on $600 back in the day. And it, it, you know, I was sleeping with, you know, rats running outside yeah, my window. Yeah, I mean, and it's, stuff. it's still, t- even in the 80s, it's tight, but you could do it. Yeah. But today, if someone says, I'm going to Europe, I got $600 in my business, in my, in my uh, budget, I'm like, for six luck, weeks. Survive. I wonder if I could do it. Yeah. But you got to, okay, you change that to Nijimon. It's similar. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, so I, I, I always, I never wanted to be. I never want to be pegged for what I actually am. Okay, yeah. In a sense, I was a backpacker, but I didn't carry a backpack. I wore, I remember I had these shoes that were like uh, businessman type shoes. And I carried like a, not a briefcase, but something that could be an overnight garment bag or something, right? And so people would, backpackers would look at me on the train and say, do you speak English? Do you, uh, are you in business? You know, <laughs> my hair was still you know, straight up in the air. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't long then. It wasn't it was, long. It was, it was, it was straight was up in the air. sting okay. spiky kind mm-hmm. of thing and pure white too. It's just, I mean, so anyway, I didn't want to be seen that way and I wouldn't stay in many youth hostels, but the first one I stayed in was Interlochen and there was a guy and I wrote, wrote about this. I'm still trying to find this guy, but his name is Koji Yoshikawa, right? Good luck trying to find Yoshikawa Koji. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, he, uh, was one of those bubble guys who just said, okay, I've made enough money. I want to go travel everywhere. And he was going to Iran, Iraq, everywhere he could go. Oh, wow. Um, and he spoke no English basically. Oh man. But first question, where are you from? America. I'm from Japan. Next question. Why did you drop the bomb on Hiroshima? That was my next question. That was, that was what he gave me, right? So that, that was his conversational skill. Yeah, I mean, that was his. Yep. Uh, and I said, line. I said, well, let's have a talk. <laughs> let's talk about this, you know. And and what I learned from all this is knowing your history matters, you know, um, because knowing your history allows you to, you know, you don't necessarily have to do apologize, but you might. Okay, but you know what the conversation is and you can see the different angles and you can have in a, you know, a true conversation about things instead of saying Hiroshima, what's that? Yeah. Right. And or that's, even just like being very you know, defensive about it. Right. And being just, you, know, you did it first. Yeah. Well, we just, yeah. You attacked <laughs> us. We did it to stop the war. Well, yeah. That conversation doesn't really go anywhere except for, you know, somebody getting upset at somebody. Yeah. 
So I went right into the oil embargo and, you know, and then the Pearl Harbor and then, you know, what's happening in you know, China and would you rather have us wait for the Russians uh, yeah. to come in from Hokkaido and you still wouldn't have it. Yeah, um, we'd have the, yeah, we'd have the People's Democratic Republic of North Japan. Yeah. Of Japan. Yeah. yeah. Capital Tokyo. So, I mean, there's a whole conversation there. And what I always say to my students is, you know, Japan is a fabulous country and America is a fabulous country and we've both done some horrible things. And you have to know those things to get people off your case sometimes, too. I mean, I've been to Vietnam looking into people's faces when they have no nose. And, and they say, so you're American. Yeah, you're the Asian orange guy. You know, and it, they want to know that I know. Yeah. Right. And if you know, that's not the it, it's a sin if you don't know. Yeah. If the Japanese don't know how long they were running around colonizing uh, yeah. Korea. Yeah. How many years? I ask my students that sometimes. How many years? And they say, oh, I don't know, five or six? The no, annex, 35 yeah, years. The annex year is 1910. 10 yeah. to 1945, right? Yeah. And actually, they were there before that, but that's the official one. They actually officially annexed it. It wasn't that, you know, no more Korean language newspapers or Japanese it, and all that. It was that. bad. But it also, it's interesting to see how colonial powers treat different places differently depending on economic need. Yeah. So, for example, the Japanese presence in Taiwan is much less harshly remembered because mm -hmm. they just wanted to use Taiwan as a port stop to connect to the rest of South Asia, Southeast yeah. Asia. Um, the same thing with the Brits. When the Brits went to India, there was a lot more of the tea and the spices and those things that they wanted, the trade things they wanted from India. But in Africa, there was a lot of mining, mineral resources they wanted. When you colonize a place for mineral resources, you got to treat people like crap because yeah. you expect them to go down into the cave and dig stuff out for you. And right. so enlightened rule quickly comes to a stop. I'm not saying what they did in India was appropriate or nice, right. but the level, the degree of cruelty and the degree of you know, subjugation is different depending on economic needs. And in Korea, they expected to try to get those resources out of Manchuria. So Korea happened to have the bad luck of being in between, you know, a yeah. rock and a hard place. So it doesn't bode well. Yeah. So, so this guy, Koji, uh, we ended up talking... I don't know, five hours that night. Wow. Um, I said goodbye to him there in Switzerland. I hiked up. I remember my back was killing me. I could barely walk. And I thought, okay, you've got one day in Switzerland because it's too expensive. Come back here when you're like almost dead or with somebody who appreciates the, you know, beauty of the place and you can afford it. Come back. I still haven't been back, but <laughs> I'm still I've waiting. Been only, I've only been to Switzerland once. I didn't do any of the standard things. I spent two weeks in Geneva at a United Nations. <laughs> nice. Subcommission, subcommittee conference. Nice. Um, so from Zurich to Geneva was just the train. You're like, wow, one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And then spent two weeks in Geneva, which was okay. You know, it was nice. But... Yeah. I was in Interlaken, okay? And so, I've heard of Interlaken. So I decided to hike up the mountain. I said, forget it. This, this body is killing me right now. And I've got, you know, this is the beginning of my trip. So let's just beat it up more and see if it works itself out. And it did that day. I hiked up this mountain and... As I'm up about two hours, I see these train tracks and I'm asking locals and I couldn't understand what they were saying, but I found out later they were saying, don't go up there. Don't go up there. It's avalanche season. Right. So, so I'm like, yeah, great. See you later. You know, and I'm hiking up these, this train of rich Japanese go by and look at me. Oh, look, a real Swiss person, a real Swiss person. Hello. Oh, Hello. Man. Right. So I'm waving to them. The driver actually stopped and said, don't go up any further. There's, and he kept motioning, avalanche, yeah. avalanche. 
I'm like, okay, okay. So I still went up further. Yeah. And uh, hand over hand motion to you meant like keep going forward. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't quite get it, but as soon as I went off a little bit, I actually my foot went through this snow cave. I don't know what they call them up there. Oh man. But so like a yeah, I guess a hole something there was a hole or something there and the snow covered up, but not enough to right. hold your weight. Right. So one foot went through and I looked down and it seemed like it was a good six, seven feet below me. That's pretty scary. And I went, ooh, I better get back down. Yeah. So there I was, you know, I talked to my first Japanese person. Then I realized that all the people that had a little money were taking this train up to the top of the mountain, this little toy train. And those were the Japanese. And uh, by the time I got to Amsterdam, that's when I saw my first Japanese salarymen during the bubble going absolutely wild, which... Amsterdam's famous for about three things, right? Drugs, girls, and art. Art and architecture, we'll put them together. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry, yeah. I'm teaching you something. Well, no, I was just thinking that <laughs> I knew that, but I thought you were going to use, I thought all three examples were going to be salacious. I didn't know that uh, the art and architecture. No, I was there for Van Gogh. I, I... Oh, no, it is It is famous for that. I would love yeah. to go for that. I, yeah. 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 I mean, I have, yeah. So, I mean, fortunately, I didn't, I, I would never get any any trouble in that way because I have no money. And, you know, that's a great thing. Keep you on the... Yeah, you know. sometimes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, though... But this Japanese salary man or... I'm walking down all the streets. And I, I took pictures back then, too. I am a photographer. Um, we'll, we'll be talking about that later. <laughs> okay. So I was, you know, taking pictures and noticing the different streets. And there was this most expensive street. And I, I of course, read about everywhere that I'm going to go. I, I like to research places. But I wasn't prepared walking down the street in the middle of the day and hearing a knock on the window and turning around and seeing someone flashing me and saying, come in. You know, this prostitute was saying, come into the room. And I was like, me? You looking at me? Right. And uh, so that, you know, was very quick. A wave goodbye. Thank you very much, ma'am. <laughs> you know, I didn't. You know, I waved yeah. goodbye quickly. But then I saw that street later in the night, and it was just overcrowded with all these salary men. Just, just I swear, money was just floating out of wow. their pockets and into the air. And I walked just into one of the places because they grabbed me. You know, here's a blonde guy. Let's make him our friend, right? <laughs> oh boy! So I walked in. I swear they're going to throw money at me for in a minute. Uh, for a minute, but they didn't. Um, but I looked around. Just looked around. And said, "Wow, this place is just. It's like little Japan here." And. Uh, yeah, so that was my next impression. Um, there was the cool guy, Koji, who asked me why I dropped, dropped the bomb. And then there were the guys working, throwing cash everywhere. And so uh, this but, is not why I came. Yeah. So how did you <laughs> how did you end up actually coming to Japan? Yeah. So I finished. Uh, OK, so it does make sense, though, that I traveled to 13 or 14 countries back then uh, after Oxford. Then I went to New York and I started traveling more because I would take these courier flights. Back then, DHL and those guys didn't have their own airplanes. So they put the luggage under a per another person's name. I've heard about this. And right. I remember, like, I think when I was like a teenager or junior high school student, I heard of people doing that. And it was like the tail end of it. And then it obviously doesn't really work out the same anymore. I don't think it exists now, does it? It probably doesn't. It's, I'm sure the security reason, security issue is the... Yeah. yeah, well, the thing is, the rule was, people always said, wow, you're taking other people's bags? No, you're not going through customs. You're never responsible for that bag to go through customs. So, yeah, you don't know what's in it, but, but it's not your bag. Yeah. Okay, the last time I actually took a courier flight was from here to Thailand, my first trip to Thailand back in, like, 97. And... Uh, 
Yeah, but the thing is, you could go... I was a graduate student and a bartender. So if someone called me and said, can you go to Sweden tomorrow? You know, it's $50. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have to pay something. Usually it would be about $200 or something. And I'd say, yep. I would, you know, do my homework, take a class off, call the bar. It's not a problem because, but it, you know, you just want to get as much experience as possible. You yeah. want to see these things. And, you know, sometimes it'd be Belgium, of course. If it's Belgium on Monday, then it's, you know, Czechol on Tuesday. You just get out of Belgium. And I always bring my rollerblades, so I'd be skating around every city. I could see the whole thing very quickly. Oh, I, man, the rollerblader. Yeah, I am still the last rollerblader in Tokyo. I skated two days ago. Isn't that funny that everyone thought that rollerblading was going to be the future? Remember that? Like this image that we would all be rollerblading one day? We'd be better off if we did. I don't know. Yeah, those things never like, I mean, they... (laughs) Let's talk about it. Go ahead. They settle down into like a regular, like a a sizable minority of just regular people who do it. But they never, you know, like when the Segway came out and they thought we would all be riding around on Segways because it's the invention of the future and they purposely hyped it up. And it's like, yeah. Well, for me, it's just exercise. It's not a trend. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. And that's where it settles down to, right? The few who think it's, you're not the last rollerblader. I've seen a few people rollerblading around here. No one's ever rollerbladed in the street in Tokyo anyway. Hmm. I've almost, I mean, I've, yeah. Yeah. I can like maybe remember an incident where I saw somebody rollerblade past me on the street, but it's like, yeah. It's extremely rare. And, and, And the good thing about that is, I mean, I was one of the first ones in New York, which is wild to think about now. And we would skate at four o'clock in the morning after we got out of the bar after work and New York City, no cars going by the streets. You know, you go down Seventh Avenue, it's recycled glass. They just started making the streets out of recycled glass. So it looks like freshly fallen snow and the the street lights were green, red. It looked like Christmas every day. They really recycled glass? Yeah, Yeah. So it sparkle. Yeah. Oh wow. I don't know if the uh, guys. I wish you could see the sparkle hand motion. It's yes. Brilliant. Well, as you say, sparkle. My eyes are sparkling as we say it. Um, but I would go down to the World Trade Center and you know just do jumps down there. And I used to jump back then. And uh, I actually met a guy who was on the team, USA Team Rollerblade. Right. He's like, hey, you got a shot if you want to do this. But I was like, you know, twenty five. I was old then. Right. I meet these fifteen uh, year old Puerto Rican kids from the Bronx. And I would teach them how to do a couple of jumps. And the next thing I would see is them going down like, you know, 40 stair things and going backwards and flipping. And I went, I'm done. Yeah, These those things, have... there's a window, yep. you know, you might know that you might have the experience and the skill and the, and the, ability, the know-how, but yep. that athleticism, that natural ability after a certain window. No fear, those guys. Yeah, that's But that Central too. Park at night, how many people do you know that can go in Central Park at night and not be scared? I mean, they would have to aim a bullet at yeah. me, follow me and hit me. And I was never worried about that. Um, so yeah, I would see all of New York or all of Belgium or whatever. Not Belgium, but Brussels. Um, so anyway. Uh, Have you ever been to Belgium? Yes, yeah. I would literally, I'm not joking. I would land in Belgium at six o'clock in the morning, skate around all day and take the night bus east because Eastern Europe was always a little better for me. I mean, yeah, a um, little more expensive exotic exotic yeah like i said go back to western europe when you have the cash and you can i don't know i guess when i'm 80 Hmm. um i wouldn't mind hanging out in berlin and stuff though yeah yeah, no that's barcelona there's a lot of cool places there is there is um but again sorry sorry, rollerblading yeah first person in london um policeman stop (laughs) i'm like 
yes, sir. You know, it's a Bobby. Yeah. Right. It's like, so. You know what the first thing that runs into my mind if a British police officer stops me? You have no gun. I can just run right <laughs> away from you. In yeah. America, I'd get shot in the back. <laughs> yeah. No. He looked yeah. at me, shook his head, and he went, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> and, and I said, so I can continue? He goes, be on your way. <laughs> nice. And uh, yeah, Trafalgar Square and all yeah, around. You see the whole city. The cool accent. Like, yeah. Brilliant. That's awesome. Yeah. So then also in Tokyo. So Tokyo, police stopped me there, of course, too. There was one time, I remember, going down Meiji Dori, just leaving Ikibukuro. Um, policeman, stop, stop. You know, I didn't have to stop. Yeah. But I saw two of them out there. <laughs> and uh, I said, hi. Hey. He's like, ano, kutsu, <laughs> kutsu. Motteru? Uh, He's like, um... And I said, yeah, I'm going to Yogi Cohen right yeah, now. But that's all you're wearing. You didn't yeah. bring a pair of shoes. You right. just roll, you're so used to, you know, comfortable with rollerblading. You just, right, I don't bring my shoes. Yeah. And I used to get on the train back then, too. Wow. Yeah, New York City or whatever. Yeah. So so uh, I said, yeah, I'm going to Yogi Cohen right now. You just follow me. I'll be there. Let me go. I'll be there in, you know, 15, yeah. 20 minutes. He's like, starts kind of, you know, scratching his head. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I know those back streets. He's like, please, yeah, go those back streets, <laughs> so we won't see you. Yeah, and that's so Japanese, isn't it? Yeah, it's not my problem if we don't see you. Yep, and, there's a uh, lot of that here. Yep, that's what I learned. Which sometimes is, um, how to say, it's very, uh, it can be good. It's a, it's a way that Japanese uh, relieve the stress of certain social norms where there's these, you know, official but unspoken of yes you know exits and you know behind the scenes kind of things that we all know is happening but we acknowledge as long as you stay on the little back path that no one's gonna actively come seek you out about it yeah i mean you can look at it in a bad way or or some of it's bad some of it leads to certain things like corruption or the things on the 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 official institutions never being fixed because we just all keep unofficially using these back channels Mm -hmm. so sometimes that causes a problem um, There's a thing about taking responsibility. Once you take responsibility, you have to make sure you do it right yeah. here, no matter what, right? Um, so if you are saying, take that back street, I didn't see you, you're happy, I'm happy, yeah. and that's the resolution. And I think it was great. Yeah, I was like, thank you very much. I will always take the back streets. And I did for about five years. <laughs> Nobody stops anymore. Probably the rules are a little bit different now, right? It's not I, such know, a big deal anymore. You know, people can sk- I've seen these people skateboarding seriously on the street a lot, like as transportation, not like in a skate park kind of thing. Yeah. And maybe they do get stopped occasionally, but I think it's more just a be careful or a stay on this certain path or just don't, you know, as long as it's not masses of 20 people skateboarding and totally blocking off traffic. If there's not that many, it's okay because then it doesn't. It, we were the first people to skate in New York City. We used to go to the post office. On our rollerblades, we used to go to the supermarket, skate around the aisles, throw cereal at each other, you know, boxes, and you know, but, but we were good at it. See, we were yeah. really good. Yeah, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> right, but here's what happened: somebody thinks they can do what we do. They go and they run into some, you know, older yeah. woman, and yeah. then all of a sudden, no skateboarding yeah. ever the, in no, the store. I, I imagine them running into the toilet paper pyramid. Right, the right, right, right. Yeah, but I once, yeah. Once the people who were not as 
adept. So when you were uh, rollerblading around Japan, so you come to Japan yeah. first on on like a trip, or do you actually do you just did you just blind? Like blindly come here to live. Some people, you know, you meet those people. Like the first time they came to Japan, I have a, a former, actually technically a current housemate of mine. He doesn't really come home a lot because he lives with his girlfriend unofficially. That's good but for you. He's an Australian guy, um, and uh, the day I met him was his first time in Japan to live in Japan, and he's been here now for over a year, and he's going to be here for a few more years. Uh -huh. Like he never even took a one week, two week trip or anything. He's just like, I'm gonna. I found a job with the English teaching company. I got a contract flying out from Australia. And the first day I met him, he was like three hours off the plane. Like, yep, I'm here to live for however long I'm going to live here. I'm just like, wow. Wait, wait, wait. So he, you had an ad in the paper? How did no, you no, meet no, him? No, no, no. I live in a share house. So, oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. So okay. I'm just saying that when, he, when I met him, he was, um, yeah. yeah, he had just come here like okay. randomly. Well, I had this plan. Okay, I finished graduate school. I'd only ever been uh, in my adult life. This is embarrassing. I was 27 years old and I had many, many jobs. Okay. I think I said before I had 38 paying jobs in my life so far. At that time, there was still probably 15. I started working when I was 11. You know, I was an illegal worker at the age of 11. I don't know if I count up how many jobs I've had. Yeah. Although a lot of them are variants on teaching. So I don't know how much that, like, yeah. yeah, if the variation's big enough, I'd count it. Yeah. You know? um, so I said, all right, you know, I got this master's. I paid, I paid for all my education. You know, my parents didn't give me money after the age of 18 or so. Um, so I said, it's time to see more. So I said, okay, I'll go. I've, I've been taking the courier flights to Europe. I'd done that trip to Europe. And there was always the courier flight, oh, $400, which is a bit much, you know, yeah. $400, though, you can go to Bangkok, right? Or you can go to Tokyo. And I'm like, ah, you know, but then you got to stay two weeks, too. So one week to Europe is easy, but two weeks over here, not as easy to take time off from classes or the job. So I said, okay, it's time to go that way. So uh, I had saved up, I don't know, like every time I had $1,000, I would take a courier flight. It was like, oh, $1,000 in the bank, time to leave. I just had to spend every, you know, it was about experience. It wasn't yeah, about saving. About that, yeah, that, no. Right? That age and, yeah. 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 Anyway, most of my friends were not doing that. But um, so I talked to a friend who always wanted to travel and who was kind of a nut. And he said, can I go with you? And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, and first I went to Hawaii to see my brother. I went to Maui for... I didn't know how long that was going to be. I thought it might only be a week in Hawaii and then head over to Japan. I actually spent all the money I saved up in Hawaii because uh, I stayed three months. Yeah. And Hawaii is not that cheap, actually. Right, right. And I had to get a car and stuff, which I never bought a car, but I borrowed somebody's car and I paid them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so by the time I hit Japan, I knew that I would have to... I like This is terrible. I like to put my back against the wall. I, I respond well under pressure. So... Like I said, I had almost no money over here when I get arrived, and uh, I found a job in three days. So what year is this? <clears throat> 1994. 1994. And... So I'm in Hawaii. I'm on a nude beach in Hawaii. <laughs> okay. I kind of live there. It's, it's not just because of the nudity. It's because... Is this, is, this, is this the nude beach that we all fantasize about, or the local nude beach? That's a good question. See, if we want to talk... Most nude beaches, in my experience, are the local nude beach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
here's the thing about the nude beach in Maui. There's, there's a place called Big Beach and Little Beach. It's known as McKenna. Okay, and um, I have tons of stories about that place too, like uh, teaching uh, Anthony Gatiss, Chili Pepper singer. Yeah, yeah. Three hours teaching him how to body surf there. He had clothes on, but anyway. Um, he had a sock on. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it's the best waves, body surfing waves. It's amazing. You have to climb over this semi mountain. Okay, it's we call it a big hill. Mm-hmm. And uh, more Japanese stories. We had to post a sign in Japanese: "Don't climb over the hill. Take pictures and run away. It's rude." <laughs> okay. Wow, there were Japanese tourists who were doing that. Yeah, because of the nude people there. Men. Men. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, so anyway, stories of <laughs> more images of Japan yeah, come back just, to me, right? Pervy. I yep. love that passive aggressive perviness. Yep. Climbing over that mountain to take a yeah. picture and run. Yeah, and run. But never, you know, yeah, never face up to it, you know. Yeah. You didn't have to be nude there. That's the other thing. You could have just, you know, there's a side of with, you know, surfers who are mostly non-nude. Yeah. There's couples in the middle, and then the best bodies are down at the other end. They're gay. Mm. Okay. The the hot bodies are down at the right side, the yeah, far side. That's a, yeah. It's typical, right? Yeah. I mean, I can I can appreciate the occasional nice looking male body, but right? Not for a whole long time, right? Like I can make a pit stop and be like, yep. okay, that's a very good looking male human being. All right, now I need to move back to what I like. Yep. So it was it was natural for me to be there, but I'm sitting there and I got my Japan Lonely Planet, and I open up the book and I point to a place and it says Ikibukuro. And I said, this is the place we're going. Oh, man. You did the same thing Eddie Murphy does in uh, Coming to America. Is that right? Queens. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to New York. Because I think New York was like he spins a globe or something or like the random thing. And then yeah. within New York, he sees Queens. Uh-huh. Like, That's where I will find my queen. Ah, that, was his, that was his thing. Is that's to good. Go find the love of his life, right? Right. So he's the Prince of Zamunda. Sorry. I love that movie. I should see it again. Yeah. The whole uh, 80s thing is great. I'll just read the script. So The movie's good. Um. But, I, um, I always missed meeting him by very short. Anyway, that's another story. But so somehow you randomly find this place called Ike Bureau. Yes. And think, I'm gonna go to Ike Bureau. Kibukuro. Kibukuro. Forgot we used to try to call it, but it said, you know, second most dangerous place in Japan. Which, if you look at the police agency things, yeah. North exit of Ikibukuro. Yeah, Ikibukuro is kind of famous for it's cleaned up yeah. a lot these days, but all, all of Tokyo. It's do, technically yes. the petty theft area yeah. or something, right? So. Uh, was yeah. number one, Nopongi? No, Kabukicho. Ah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it's Kabukicho Ikibukuro. Back then, I don't know what it is now. I haven't yeah. checked the police website in a while. Yeah. So, um, but I get there with my, my friend. Um, he's like, what? There's nothing to be scared of here. Yeah. You know, we just came from New York City. And yeah. Um, before, you know, Times Square was Disney. This yeah. is, you know, New York was still. If you're in 94, it's just cleaning up. It's just, maybe it's peaking, right? But even if. Yeah. It still yeah. was not yeah. a dangerous place by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. So uh, we check out this one so-called Gaijin house. Okay. And it says, you know, there's no internet, right? Call Chico. Meet me in front of Marui no Mai. Marui no Mai. Marui no Mai. Yeah. So that's the only Japanese I knew was Marui no Mai. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm like, what? So I, I get off. I had a first class ticket. No money, right? But I had a first class on Continental because I had so many miles saved. Oh, nice. So I arrived first class. I had a free limousine bus. So wait, so wait. You, you fly in the first class and your buddy is on the same plane back in coach? Yeah, something like that. No, he arrived on a different plane. He, actually, he stopped over in Guam. He was oh, saving okay. that much But that money. plan was just like, hey, let's meet up in Tokyo. Yeah, I, I remember waiting four hours at the airport. And I remember looking at this one 
guy who was a teacher and the adoration he was being shown, I went, wow, that guy, I wonder if he's any good or people just always think that. Yeah. And it's a little bit of both, isn't it? But it, there's a lot of, you know, there's a little bit too you much. Mean, when you were, when you arrived in Japan, you saw some. I saw them, you know, foreigner. sensei, goodbye. Yeah, oh, this yeah, foreign yeah. guy who was, you know, saying, you know, I'll miss you. And, you know, you discovered that magical thing called white boy magic. Yeah. <laughs> you've taught me all of my English ever, forever. And I'm like, okay, well, he hasn't taught you that much, yeah. you know. But I was thinking, wow, it would be nice to have my own class, you know. And I was really thinking, you know. In 94, the bubble's over, but you could still, there was some, still some, some good things. Yeah, the residue was still there in some places. Yeah, some leave it to me to find the residue. So, yeah. so uh, but I, I had a master's, okay. I mean, I did have a real degree, so I thought I could get a job here pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had no contacts whatsoever and showing up in March happened to be a really great thing because you know, yeah. I, I had no idea that if you had come like in April or May yeah. you would have been kind of screwed I you probably been... would have found something but you would have found something rickety to, to tide you over until sometimes the fall is one reset period. right and then, exactly but basically until I had spring, no idea yeah. the timing was really really good yeah and so I went to this place called Kimi Information Center which is still there and that's where you find you can find housing oh sorry the Go back to the Gaijin house, though, okay? Uh, 2,500 yen a night. Um, I had a couple of phone numbers in my book from being a bartender in New York. Hey, talk to me when you get here, you know. I'll help you out. You know, I called this guy. He worked for Waseda. He's mm-hmm. like, I don't remember you at all. Sorry. Oh, man. We want to have a coffee now. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, thanks a lot, you know. Oh, man. You know, we talked for hours at the bar, but yeah. whatever, you know, hey. But you know, hey. Wow. Yeah, that was kind of a weird thing. Yeah, but even uh, for drunk memory, that's pretty bad. If I talk to somebody for hours, I would remember. And yeah, yeah, I just remember this guy from Seattle reading a book in Japanese at my bar in New York, and saying, "Wow, that's cool. I'm gonna go learn to read Japanese." Mm-hmm. Never did. When you, I was gonna say that. <laughs> Twenty some years later, Todd, how are we yeah. doing on the reading Japanese? Well, I'm counting on os- osmosis, but it hasn't happened. Uh, a friend of mine, um, when he came to Japan, he was. Uh, He's been in Japan now over 15 years and stuff, but when he first came, he's like, you know, like, yeah, from Canada, teaching English. I'll learn, I know, year one, year two, year three, I'll learn to speak Japanese. He got to like his fourth year in Japan, realized he wasn't learning any Japanese. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I got to stop. Like, I got to, like, I got to get on this. And yeah. he said, yeah, osmosis has failed. He yeah. started taking classes. I think he doesn't read that well still, but he speaks completely, you know. Oh, good, yeah. good, good. It was just funny. I remember him telling me about that and it's like. I have other friends who, yep, keep counting on osmosis. And I don't mean just yeah. like they can't read. These are people who can't. I have a buddy of mine who's been in Japan for over 10 years. He really can't have like a like a 10-minute conversation. Yeah. Like his Japanese level is almost zero. It's He's a great guy, but it's just always just me out. I mean, we make fun of him about it sometimes, but it's just yeah. Like, yeah. See, my problem, I have many problems, but one problem is I... I've always been able to have some kind of conversation. I've always learned enough to get past the gate. Has all your Japan time been Tokyo? Like, or, That's yeah. a big problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you have, if you don't have the, yeah, if you don't have either one, you have to be a foreigner who doesn't speak English. Cause then, you know, right. you're going to have to learn Japanese. Right. Anyway. Your English will get good too though. Yeah. Yeah, English probably would get good to yeah. some of those people. Or you got to be out in the countryside. Right. Or you have to have come to Japan because like, you have a deep love for anime or something right, where right, like, right. you're self-motivated. Yeah. yeah. Someone said to me once, when did you fall in love with Japan? 
That's a good question. Yeah. Did you ever? That's a good question. Yeah. Because we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, even in this conversation about when you're a citizen of the world, right. you don't necessarily have that like... Yeah, for me, Japan is endlessly interesting. Infinitely interesting, we'll call it. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, and I do... As bad as my language ability is, I do take pride in the way I understand what's happening. You know, and, it, and in, I see uh, the, the layers getting peeled back over the years saying, okay, now I understand why this is happening. And put me in a room, even a Japanese meeting where I'm only catching 50% of the language and I know what side is what side. Yeah. I know who's bullshitting. I know who's, I know where the American side maybe oversteps their reach or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, okay, this is what's going to happen here. And that's where I, I got. So I, I wouldn't say I'm a 23-year tourist. No, 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 no. Of course um, not. No, there's definitely a difference. You know, there's, yeah, I would never, I never got that. I, I've never got that vibe from you. And I've met people like that. I'm yeah. just like, wow, really? You've been here this long? And it's not about language ability. It's just about, like, the way they operate. Like, they just refute, like... Refuse is the good question. You've refused any kind of like, any kind of like, uh, you don't have to be subservient to the local culture, but you have to respect it. And your cultural needs have to come second initially in in your interaction. You give them the benefit of the doubt of mostly operating in their cultural mode. Now, if that person speaks, happens to speak your native language really well and they're accommodating, fine. But you don't go into, you know, I've known people who just go into convenience stores and they want something and they don't speak any Japanese and they just insist, you know, or they speak Japanese, but they just insist on like using English and then making fun of making the person feel real stupid. I've had yeah. a friend, I was like, yeah. you need to stop doing that. Yeah. Like, you're really pissing me off because you're being really rude to this. Did you say friend? That's no friend. I've, uh, well, <laughs> I've had varying degrees of friends like this. Yeah. I'm exaggerating a little bit, yeah. but they do it. Maybe a little bit more subtle than the example I'm giving, yeah. but where they're just a little rude, and I think it actually comes from the fact that they're they're a little bit frustrated. Yeah, so there's a culture that, shock thing happening. There. Yeah, but it's like you still can't do that. That that waiter or bartender or service person, it's not their problem, their fault that you're frustrated about something. There's something happening right now that I'm watching and worried about because there's so many tourists coming in, and I've seen Chinese do that a lot at convenience stores mm-hmm. and speak English over the heads of the Japanese cashier or something yeah. and make fun of them and just keep pushing the English. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? And they're thinking, Hey, I studied English and this person should have, yeah. and the Japanese are supposed to be good students. Therefore I can abuse them all I want. Okay. There's that kind of attitude. And, and people are in, sorry, back up a little bit though. I'm not just being tough on the Chinese mm-hmm. um, because, but so many of my students like oh the Chinese are you know they're doing this and that I'm like you don't understand what the Japanese bubble tourists were like okay take a group of anybody yeah Americans in in Europe or Russia or something yeah. like that you know giant Americans you know smiling at everything when people are dying on the streets you know yeah there, there's yeah I just again yeah citizen, I mean, I citizen the, of the world stuff. the example of the Chinese is just because there's a lot of Chinese tourists the influx compared to you know five ten fifteen years ago I think is right. The, is the reason why it's it's the example that kind of comes to mind because we just see a lot of examples of of Chinese tourists, including nice, perfectly nice people. I I, I my in my job right, you see a lot. I, I see from the end to end, so right. it's not, you know, when I don't know when you know when Zimbabwean tourists get really popular in Japan, the examples will be about people from Zimbabwe. So yeah, yeah. I mean, but but I understand what you mean that. 
It's, yeah, okay, so not... Especially when countries have opened up the tourism, opened them, have the when when that country, when it's still the early days for people from that country to go visit other countries, they do tend to kind of, they still haven't, they haven't learned like travel savvy. Mm. You know, like I think like... But there's a perfect storm here too, because people mm-hmm. don't understand that Japan, this is early days of this many visitors coming oh, yeah. in. Yeah, on the receiving end, it's early days. Right. But it's interesting that when Japan was on the early days of Japanese leaving in you know, the 60s, when Jap- when the middle-class Japanese person could first start in relatively high numbers go to Hawaii, or, yeah. like their behavior in the beginning was also... And Americans too, when Americans, when we got out of World War II and more and more Americans were visiting Europe and places like that, the early visitors were kind of, you know... Yeah. They just don't know how people don't from their country don't know how to behave overseas, and eventually yeah. that country. Oh, is... Remind me of my waiter stories or bartender stories with Japanese. Yeah, back then. Um, but so what? I'm there should be a word created soon for this. That if you go to Shinjuku, um, Kabukicho is really changing. It, for me, it's really fascinating because it used to be, you know, just gangster land and everything else. Yeah. But I go to the batting center. I go to the Toho cinemas there. I'm there quite a bit. Want to see me? I'm around. Um, is, that your, is that your regular neighborhood, your hangout neighborhood? It's the only, it's the closest batting center. Ah, you're a batting, batting cage. Yeah, right? so it's, it's like deep into Kabukicho. I bring mm-hmm. my daughter there, which is weird. You know? That so, would have been weird a few years ago. It's not so, it's, yeah, it's very different now. There's a samurai museum. I swear it's, it's. It's connected, okay? Yeah. But it's got high rankings on TripAdvisor. I haven't been in there, but people love this place. Yeah, well, and there's the, also that robot restaurant. The robot thing, right? That I've never been to. But again, people... Are, yeah. The, the growing pains of Kabukicho reminds me of Times Square, mm-hmm. say, around the turn of the century. Right? Um, when it became from from strip peep shows to Disney. Yeah. Okay? Um, it's not that extreme there, but Kabukicho is, is one of the biggest... Uh, changing. Uh, yeah, you can still find plenty of shady stuff if you want. Absolutely. But, yeah, but yeah. they've been, done a little bit better job. The shady places have. But what happens though is I'll go into a restaurant now with my kids, and they'll shout out bad English at me. Like some, I walked into this place. It was in the Toho Cinemas downstairs, and it was crowded. And you could see the waitress was really freaked out and stressed, and she went, "No sheets." And my children, who are Japanese, yeah. looked at her and went, what the hell did she just yeah. say? And I said, no shito. And she said, no shito. And I'm like, what, what was she going on about? There's no seats. Uh, okay. So yeah. I'm like, uh, and she went, oh, sumimasen, And I'm like, you know. Yeah. But for me, I worked in the service industry. I want to train these people. Yeah. I want to go into these restaurants and say, look, here's how you address everyone. The Olympics coming up. Yeah, but I don't this. think they're going to listen. It's just like all the signs that are wrong still in Japan. I don't think yeah. they want the the, the guy Kokujin coming in there. But I think it. it is going to have to change or get better because it is changing. Like the every year, Japan breaks its record for a number of um, visitors. Visitors, yeah, from overseas. Yeah, well, it... it by common sense, it should change. If his voice is far away, it's because he's gone to get the soy milk. I gotta get some more coffee. You want some more coffee? You're okay. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll have some coffee. Not much there, but um, so it's. Yeah, don't worry. I I can fill in the space <laughs> until you get back, because that's probably gonna be one of those weird like voice far away. You don't edit at all. I will a little bit. 
But um, I generally don't. I generally don't edit that much. It's not that much more. Um, it's it's pretty frustrating though because. Uh, sorry. So, listeners, just think of this as this is a little bit of the break spot. Yeah, go get your coffee. Um, it's gonna be a little rough audio wise, but it should be okay. It usually works out. So, uh, yeah, I'm walking home from uh, NHK, and I wanted to buy some like Halloween mask for my daughter. I walked in one of those I don't know curios shops. What do you call these things? Uh, the, uh, they sell everything. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, these two women with tons of makeup and you know the ipichi kind of thing, mm-hmm. and they they're so stressed walking over to me because they've been dealing. They didn't study English. They've been dealing with foreign customers all day. Yeah. And and as soon as I spoke a little bit of Japanese, they were like, Oh, you got that. I got that. I felt so bad for them. Yeah. Right? Somebody should be in there helping. You know? I need yeah. a new, I need a new job. You know, we should start this business. There needs to be I've had a few more than a few friends tell me, hey man, the Olympics is coming up, Japan keeps having more tourists. Like there's a there's something there. There's huge business opportunities of in helping out with yeah helping restaurants the or side, shops, but also when the foreigners come in, there's you know tours and different things you can help them out with to make their stay more fun. And there's so much uh, potential. Yeah, I mean, not to not to hatch business plans on a podcast while no, no, we're recording, but inbox me. I'm yeah. interested. I really because I've worked in the service industry. I've worked in shops. I, I yeah. Speaking of that, okay. Um, I remember being at work. I was a waiter in Hawaii, and this again end of the bubble nineteen ninety. This is that time in Maui. No, no, time in Maui is just before you came. Right, the there was another time. It was nineteen ninety time. I went away for six months, uh, and uh, that's when Jay Moore moved into my house uh, in New York. And uh, ah, yeah, I was. I was gone, so he came in, and then I moved back, and somebody else moved out. But um, did he destroy your house while he was there? Kind of. Yeah, I kept getting all these reports. Todd's are we, we going to ruin Jay Moore's reputation? Todd's not like, like, no, we're not, because I love Jay. I love Jay. And he also, yeah, he's uh, he's more than setting up about his past escapades. I don't think it's going to surprise right. for anybody. No, he would love me to tell some horrible story, but I, yeah, I'll save that one. Yeah. Um, but you were in Hawaii. So I was in Hawaii, and this. California blonde, beautiful waitress had tears in her eyes and she goes, I can't take it. I can't take it. There's a table of 10 Japanese men. Oh boy. And I'm like, I got this. Yeah. I got this. You know, so I went back there. And I'm like, what do you guys want? And I know they're going to order the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So they went, huh? huh? That's the yeah. <laughs> right. And I'm like, pasta? Pasta's good. Pasta? Yes. 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 Pasta. Pasta, 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 pasta. We yeah. got 10 pasta. Yeah. Love you guys. Listen, the tip is not included. Do you want me to include the tip? Do you want me to write the tip in? I'll, I'll put 15% right here because it's a party of 10. I said, don't give me any, any extra money. You understand that, right? And, you know, I had no Japanese. I'd never been to Japan. Yeah. But I knew certain things about certain customers. And, yeah. and they were like, yes. And these guys loved me so much that they gave me, this, this is extra for you. Okay, so I told the woman, I'm like, what, what's going on? She goes, it was different from you. They reacted differently to you than me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, you know what they did with her? They started shouting this thing, which I've never heard. And even Japanese people don't know this. Nice numbers. 
they're talking about 34, 24, 34, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Nice numbers was a, was a phrase. Nice number. So, so, so. Wow, that is bad. And, uh, and can I take a picture with you? And they were kind of snuggling up oh, a bit too close. Man. You know, basically, we have yeah. a lot of money and we're, we can do what we want. Yeah. And again, I don't, you know, again, culturally, I'm not looking down on them. I'm not, I'm, even though it I mean, is. It's something to be pointed out. I mean, I've had, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, Western female friends, you know, talk about experiences on the train. The ogling, the oh, you're a Western woman, so you must be easy anyway. So what's my pro- what's the problem with me touching you or getting in your space? Like you yeah. talk to Western women who get touched on the train. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, luckily a lot of them are like, I'll punch you. you know? Right, that's yeah, the ones they, I talk they, to. They, I mean, when they talk to me about it, I don't think they're coming from. They're coming from it was a crappy experience, but I don't think they're coming from. They weren't victimized. You know, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't consider themselves victims. They just considered uh, someone who encountered. A, sexual harassment but they knew how to either tell the person to f off or walk away or but not everyone's like that right like Mm. like i think as a guy if you do that kind of horrible stuff you're actually very lucky if a woman would slap you or tell you to back off because the worst is when the whole you know when when that person can't do that Mm. and to do that to somebody is just terrible right that happens hopefully someone's there to catch you (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah. But. So, yeah, so I mean, they were, here's another one where I was a bartender, it's kind of a square bar, so I couldn't see what was going on. I was working with a woman, and she came, tears in her eyes again. This is crazy that there's two tears in the eyes stories, but it was true. She's like, those men are so rude. I look over, and there's two plain-looking salary men down at the end. And I went, what do you guys want? Or I didn't even say that. No, I looked around the corner and they said, "Beer too." <laughs> yeah, that whole thing where when you don't really know the language, right, right. You but you know, start my reaction in, in New York was yeah. was uh, no, and I turned around. I basically lost eye contact. They couldn't see me because I, I was on the other side of the corner of the bar. And they went, hmm? <laughs> and so I looked back and I went, I I looked at made eye contact and they said, "Beer too." And I walked over. I said, "Gentlemen, you will never get served." Like, what, what, yeah, what, this is not why, barn. why, 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 you know? And I said, two beers. And I motioned to them and they said, please. And I said, there you go. Yeah. Right. Now this, these guys, I talked to them later and I would say they were friendly, uh, well-educated men. But they don't, they didn't speak English very well, right? Not very well, but better than that. But I think they think like there's a stereotype. They have this stereotype where they think like everyone in America is frank. So just being frank, like the Japanese people love to say franco, America jima franco. They're just frank. So you just say what you want, and it's like no, 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 no. We are frank because we know how to use our language and we know what tone. Like I've I've had to say, have this conversation with Japanese people. One, not every American person is aggressive. Yeah. Not everybody is quote unquote frank, and also there are cues that you're not picking up on. And there are places where people are frank, where it's appropriate for them to be frank or to be more direct. Yeah. And you just think you have this stereotype in your head. Americans are direct. So if I just yell everything and speak really directly to people, that's okay. And it's like, it's not okay. And I've had to that's tell students, you're really rude. Your tone right now is very rude. And the other thing that Japanese people are not good at is that in Japanese language, you change the actual structure of the way you speak to connotate where your position is and your politeness. Right. We don't really have that as right. much in English. So you got to watch your tone. And people will get really upset with your tone. One thing, an example I give is facetiousness. 
So, uh-huh. for example, in in English, you can be re- you can say you can say, "Oh, really? Oh, is that right, sir?" And all your language is really polite, and that person will deck you. Right. And you can be the most like most frank, like, "Yeah, you know, that's a great man. Won't you hand me a beer? And why don't we go out and hang out and speak in the most rough way?" And people think you're the greatest guy on the planet, mm-hmm. and they don't understand that because the way they do that is different in Japanese cultural context. Yeah. So, yeah, I've had to tell students that you need this. Yeah. Your analysis is interesting because it is not mine. Okay. Um, and let's see. I mean, both can be equally it, valid. Yeah, there's let, probably Let me test context. this though, okay? Mm-hmm. Just go back to any izakaya. What yeah. are they saying? How do you order two beers? Good point. What do you say? You yell out, simasen, <laughs> and get someone's attention by hollering at them. But then you say... And then you say like nama, you just say the beers. Nama futatsu. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or or yeah. you just hold your glass up, right? Yeah. That's exactly what they did. But but I think that's not, I don't think they're doing, I don't think they're going, this is what we do in Japan, let's translate that into America. What they're doing, I think, is that they think America is a culture, like when they speak that way, and they, because I think, because they don't have the um, the fine tuning of the language skills. Yeah, that's so interesting. they try to grasp onto easy cultural hooks. Like, when you're in Japan and you're at an izakaya, right? Like, a Japanese person knows to do that in an izakaya, but you never see someone doing that, like, in a cafe. Even if a ca- even if it's a cafe that serves beer, like, the tone will be a little different. Mm. Like, if it's a little bit of fancier cafe or if it's, like, they can they know where they can really, really, like, in a clamoring izakaya, you'd be like, Simasen! Namaftatsu! Like, at, you know, full pitch. And you see yeah. uh, foreign friends, like, People just yell out simasen and get an order and like you know in the states that's that's yelling at your waiter who's going to come over and go like you yell at me one more time you're <laughs> yeah. done today right right right, right. You don't get to and do that's that. what I said to these guys but no Japanese person would go to a nice hudote or a or even a cafe a more like more like cafe bar type fancy place and do the same thing or they would but they would but know we how were to in a bar we were in a izakaya type setting so I think. I yeah, think that was definitely be, part of it. Yeah, that was probably part of it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying no, that's two I, different interpretations. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point, though. I uh, did kind of forget about that. Yeah. And you also have to think about who works in an izakaya, who works in a bar in Japan, this type of bar, okay? Mm-hmm. And customer's king. Um, New York City is one place where you really can just refuse service. I mean, you're being a jerk to me. No, yeah. I'll just make it seem like I don't see you forever because mm-hmm. we're busy here right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys be nicer, forget it. Um, and, and once we did, talked about that, I did use it as a teaching moment. I mean, my, my Eikaiwa time here was very similar to being a bartender in New York. <laughs> you know, it's tons of people in different places, different languages. Um, I remember saying that to the Eikaiwa students once and they were horrified. <laughs> Former uh, bartenders, though, tend to make good English teachers, not like a very academic setting, but if it's the one-on-one kind of English school type, yeah, a lot of them are really good at it. Because yeah. one, it's just that re- ability to read people, yeah. and also um, to not be—I don't know if you have this experience. This might be a personal thing with me. Shy people, reserved people, make me nervous. Like what I mean is, like I become like, like in my current, like in some of my job experience. Um, you know, I'll have, I'll have customers from, for example, China. And a lot of people are bothered by by Chinese customers because of their directness. I love it. Yeah. And once I learn, like, I'm allowed to be that same way to them, right. and they don't take it as the insult at all. The only reason they're, one, sometimes their language ability is not that high. So the yeah. reason they're kind of barking at you is they just want to very simply tell you what they want. 
And once you realize it's not personal, I love it. I'm much more nervous around like Japanese people who like are, are nervous too and they're shy and then I feel like if I say something to insult you or bother you and just makes me more shy people make me so nervous. I almost prefer once I'm used to the what that you're just doing what you're doing because there's something you want. I'd much rather have someone be like, you know, me hungry, you help me. Okay, you hungry, me help you. Like, here's a burger. Awesome. Rather than, uh, 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 and then like, what? What do you want? And if I say something to you, you look flustered and it's like, I don't know what to do with you. And like, ah, uh, yeah. But part of that too is that you know too much about the Japanese language and Japanese culture. That might be it. Because yeah. my best friend for years here said, I guess he only stayed about six years, but he graduated from. Uh, graduate school from Saitama Daigaku. Mm -hmm. So he was here at Monbusho Scholarship mm -hmm. for six years, a Romanian guy. And he said, uh, Oh, my first six months here were the best. I couldn't speak at all. That, I've heard that sentiment. And after that, I was so worried about yeah. how do I speak to this person? I know there's so many different ways. And you've yeah. learned enough. To be dangerous or to feel that you're going to do something wrong because when you're in the first beginnings you don't you know it's yeah. all good it's all it's all right. whatever right, right. Like, which explains how happy i am now so. <laughs> you're still in that stage well i i don't i don't worry about yeah you know kago and things like that because i just can't and uh but you know yeah, go but back sometimes if you intentionally break it down like what i will do with um i will uh try to intentionally be slightly more informal than is probably appropriate mm -hmm. and most people will actually take that as a good thing as a as oh you're an easy person to talk to or you're friendly rather than the over polite which also automatically kicks in their like positional like hierarchy oh if you're going to speak to me as if you're below me well then i'll treat you like you're below me not in any no no i, I know you're conscious mean way but just that that's what ends up happening, right? If you start going in there with your little head bowing, yeah. they're going to go, oh, uh, this is, all right, well, we'll switch into that that cultural code. You know, we'll, we'll work that code. I've had if, bosses here who, in, in Japanese, she looked down on everybody, they said. Mm -hmm. But talking to me, she always spoke English. She was charming as can be. Yeah. And I don't know what she thought of me. I mean, but I think we have a pretty good, we had a pretty good relationship, but uh, yeah. That's the whole interesting discussion of code switching and how code, how cultural code, this this is a little bit slightly different, but there's a great uh, video of Obama going through and shaking hands with people uh -huh. in, in some setting and he's shaking hands and several of the people he shakes hands are white people. He shakes a hand, shakes a hand, he gets to the black guy and it's the half hug thing, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the clasp hand hug. And then the next person is white again, he goes back to just shaking the hand, like a standard handshake. And it's like, it's just the most natural thing. And then, but someone had mentioned in that video, I think it's a, a Facebook or YouTube video, like code switching and how we do those things in cultural context. So even people who are bilingual, Japanese people can speak English really well. You'll see their personality be different from when yeah. they're in Japanese and when they're in English. Yeah. So I have Japanese friends, some of them who speak uh, English really well. I'd much rather just speak to them in English, uh -huh. even though my Japanese is probably a little bit better than their English is. Yeah. But just and they also want to speak to me in English, not to practice their English. That, but oh, they have enough of a level where they can actually speak English. But just that our relationship is more comfortable that way, and we're having fun. And actually, they want to. They also want to leave those cultural codes that you know, all the positioning and the ranking and the kegel, and it's just easier if we just speak English. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing. Uh... 
I do feel more at home in New York. I'm not saying America. Okay, in New York, I can walk into any setting, a bar, and talk to someone who's 21 years old or 78 years old. It doesn't matter. And you're not worried about just age or, or anything. I yeah. mean, it's just, well, this New York is an interesting. I find New York and also the East Coast, like the Northeast East Coast, to be an interesting cultural context because I have friends from like Connecticut, New York, or Boston, and they're definitely different. Like they'll, and I've had some of them have had experience living on the West Coast, and they'll say things like, "The West Coast is great. Everyone's friendly, but sometimes everyone's kind of kiss ass or just doesn't have that." Like there's a frankness to being a East Northeasterner that's different from a West Coaster. Yeah, and you can sense that cultural difference in some ways because. The West Coast is much is a more of a frontier pioneer culture, like a little bit less history, and nobody has been there as long as each other. We've all we're all kind of newish, yeah. Where we kind of have to be. It's a little bit. There's almost like a common bland like overall culture that we use to to be able to how to say like it's almost as like a sense of not. Um, there's a, it's more in a way, it's more international in a sense of like, not international. What am I looking for? It's just that nobody has been there for that long. So everyone's kind of more surface and more yeah. polite and things like that. While in the East coast, I think there's a little bit of an older, longer history. And so people are just maybe is a more cultural commonality or just a way of communicating with each other that's different? Yeah, I, I had the best time I've ever had in Los Angeles, my last trip to Los Angeles. And maybe it's because I've lived in Japan so long that Los Angeles now, the superficiality of it all doesn't piss me off. Yeah, I see it as a kind of harmony. Yeah, that's... There it is. It's people are not being as facetious or superficial as, as you think if you come from a more direct culture. What they're trying to do is there's so many different kinds of people here coming from so many different things that we can't assume common code. We mm. can't assume common uh. understanding, automatic con common understanding. So I need to back off a little bit on the straightforwardness because or else do you think I'm picking a fight with you or are you angry? Uh -huh. On the East Coast, you know, it's like, hey, you know, what's going on? Hey, what you do? Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, and I'm not saying every relationship like that is in the East Coast, but there can be a little bit more frankness where... No, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I had a string of meeting 10 people from Southern California and all 10 of them within two minutes said, are you making fun of me? <laughs> and, and I told my friend from San Diego um, about this. We were going out and I told him this happens. And he goes, yeah, I can see that happening. And so we go, we had one of those rare trips to Roppongi. Um, but, uh, and it was really rare, but we walk in and we see this guy and we start talking and he goes, oh yeah, I just, I just went speed dating. I'm like, oh yeah, this guy was no, you know, as far as I could see, no, not really that interesting and not a great catch, uh, you know, physically or anything. And mm -hmm. um, he goes, yeah, oh, I'm just a master at speed dating. I'm like, are you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I just, I just tell him the things. I've got permanent residence, I've been on TV, and I work at a bank. I'm like, and so where's the, the, the Japanese phrase? Where's the charm point? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, everybody, you know, 
permanent residence in. Yeah. What was the second one? On TV, you know? Yeah. Just in, in, and it was very quick, but he was like, are you making fun of me? And the other guy just died laughing. He goes, you're right, you're right. It only takes you three sentences before. In New York, it would be like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, it is a different, it's interesting. That's something I think I also, it also stands out to me because I go home just once a year and kind of see snapshots of, of being back home in the States. Yeah. And then, yeah. I definitely miss that banter. Um, so where are we on me? Uh, on where are we on the? When did I come to Japan? Oh yeah. So where are we? Um, <laughs> I got can... a job very quickly. Working in an Eikaiwa. Okay, so I got very quickly. I went out to Saitama. Tokorozawa was my first job. And everyone said, they're not going to hire you. They're not going to hire you because your hair is too long. No, I tied it up in a ponytail and put it, somebody else's suit on. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it just so happened, the guy that I met, it wasn't a chain or, at all. It was a private eikaiwa in Tokorozawa. And my friend, who was the guy who came with me, short hair, very good looking guy, um, didn't have a master's, but who cares at an eikaiwa, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it just so happened that I said I was a singer before. And the guy who was the owner of the Eikaiwa was getting married a month later, and he wanted me to sing at his wedding. I didn't know this at the time, but that's why he hired me. <laughs> so, so I get the job. Um, he provided an apartment. You know, back then the phone lines used to cost nanaman yen, yeah. right? He provided a rental phone line and everything. And I lived in Kotasashi for a year above a video store and right next to a highway in uh, Shimachu. Um, the home center as so was ah she must you yeah home center okay now i remember so nice. um but the thing is uh it was all about the uh oh you were a singer so a month later i'm at the prince hotel in ikibukuro singing my way oh boy at his wedding yeah handing out flowers he goes i want you to hand out flowers to all the girls like elvis I'm like, no, but the girls come to Elvis. He doesn't just hand out flowers. Yeah. Oh, they'll come to you. Don't worry. Right. So sure enough, you know, he pushes all the ones that are like eight years old towards me. So I have yeah. to give them up, give up flowers. And, you know, imagine singing, regrets. I've had a few. But then again, it's, you know, this is what Trump did for his inauguration. Oh, <laughs> did you know that? Boy. The first dance was like my way. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was. Yeah. This is no uh, self-awareness on that. But at least yeah. this guy, you know, still my friend, by the way. I love this guy. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm like, that's not a good song to sing, you know. He goes, that's the song I want. And you got to sing it like Elvis. I'm like, not like Bob Dylan, because Bob Dylan did it too. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think that's what he was quite looking for. Yeah. Oh, man. So, okay. So you did Eikaiwa for a few years. Yeah. But you know, Eikaiwa was one of the best introductions to Japanese culture. Okay. I had people in there um, that, I mean, first of all, there was, there was the shock. I, there were two other teachers at the time. I walked outside during the break time and I said, I can't do this another week. There's no way. I can't talk this slow. Why are you William Shatner? <laughs> yeah. I am going to be insane sounding if I keep this up. He goes, and the other guy said, and I'll never forget it, very slowly and clearly, you will get used to it. And I'm like, no, you sound like an idiot. I'm going to go home and call New York and speed talk right now. And yeah. if I do that every day, I won't be one of those weird teachers that, you know, I, and part of my job, all these years in Japan, part of my job is to be the guy Kokushin. Okay. NHK, 
I had, I had to know something about America still. I had to know what people think and how they react. You know, they're asking me these questions. I can't try to become Japanese, not that I was ever trying, but I've seen people who have tried and ultimately they're horribly disappointed. So I have to try to respect everything I can here, learn from the culture, you know, be polite, but don't just try to do everything that way. Yeah, I don't. Because I, I won't do it as well. I won't be that person. Except for now, like you're speaking. No, I mean, <laughs> but, so NHK, how did that come about? Maybe Wait, we'll one, talk. one more thing about okay, Kai, One more thing. Okay, is, um, so I get this, you know, 70-year-old woman who tells me stories about, you know, I met MacArthur. I was working at the GHQ after the war. You know, I met MacArthur. He was a very handsome man. His wife was not so pretty, you know. So I get first-hand history. You know, she was in Manchuria when the Russians came mm -hmm. down and, you know, she shaved her head and dirtied her face because she said everyone's going to, you know, her mother said, they're coming to rape you. And I said, so what happened? And she said, as if a shaved head and a dirty face was ever like, <laughs> no, but you know what off. she said? Yeah. This is people's history right here. Um, she said, um, what I remember about the Russians, they came in and they played the piano. And it was beautiful because I wasn't allowed to play the piano for years. It was like this no fun rule during the war, mm. right? Which, you know, sorry, it makes, it makes yeah, a little yeah, sense. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a really horrible yeah, thing. Yeah, but, but I know what you're saying. You know, there was a shut up and don't play any music. And she goes, they played it and their voices were so beautiful. And, and they never touched me. And they stole my watch. But you know what? They didn't have a watch. Yeah. And I did. And I said, so that's what you remember? She goes, yeah. I think when your mother is telling you, hey, look, prepare by shaving your head and dirtying your face, having your watch stolen is like pretty good. Like, mm. oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, she was like 14 at the time or something. Yeah, yeah, so she's back in Japan and telling me the stories. I ended up uh, giving her a, a self, uh, I guided a tour, New York, Boston, and my hometown for this woman who had never been outside Japan. Oh, wow. She was the highlight of her life and her family hated me because she was spending money that they wanted her to pass on. But uh, she's like in her seventies, right? Yeah. And first time going out of the country. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But they wanted to just collect, I think. But um, but not, this yeah. other woman comes in and she's like, Look, what are you saying to me? Yeah. And she would look up each word. Yeah. I have an English allergy. Yeah. I'm like, is that right? And I thought it was kind of funny. And then she said to me, March 10th, my parents were killed. Right? There's a Tokyo bombings. Yeah. Right? So I knew right away what she was talking about. And again, this woman all of a, all of a sudden became amazingly interesting to me because she said, you know, I have hated America all my life and here I am talking to you, the enemy, you know? But she was saying it with a smile and, you know, I ended up going to her house and eating there and uh, convincing her she should travel. And she was like almost 80 at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she took a trip to Singapore and came back and brought her journal back to me and she would read the whole thing. And, you know, it's... Uh... Yeah, but I think when... It's not as... Probably not absolution for her because it's not like she did anything wrong, but it's a sense of, I guess coming full circle yeah you know it's like because if you really if you had not just a allergy but a deathly allergy you would never have stepped into an english language school or let yourself anywhere near that in the first place right that person wanted to reconcile with that feeling right they wanted they wanted something from it 
Yeah. yeah. But then um, the businessman classes, the housewife classes, and the, I would always pose questions. Uh, what age would you want to stay if you could stay any age? Um, That's a, mm. But the answers were so uh, distinct. There was almost no middle. Huh. All the salarymen who were above 50 or 60 wanted to be five again. <laughs> Seriously? Yes. That explains a lot. Doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. They wanted to go back to a time when everything was carefree and their mother took care of them. Yeah. They're always looking for mama. Yep. But uh, if I ever have a daughter, the one thing I'll tell her is if whoever <laughs> your partner is going to be, it looks like if everything you hear out of his mouth and his behavior is he's looking for his new mom, run from that man. Right. Run from that man because that will not be a good thing for you. <laughs> right. But on the other hand, okay, and I was always yeah. just thinking about one way. I mean, I would see these guys and the lives they led, the lives they led, mm -hmm. and say, wow, these guys are having no fun. And maybe their wife doesn't talk to them. Maybe it's their fault. Yeah. Maybe their kids don't talk it's to them. It's never one person's fault completely, right. obviously. Yeah. But I mean, you think of the suicide rates in Japan and you think of what is the average age of the person who jumps in front of the train. And it's about... It's like 50 something, right? Yeah, late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. It might even be as low as 42. That, but okay. but yeah. I mean, it's that time when, okay, I've done everything I can do. Mm -hmm. I've studied hard. I got into a good school. Maybe it's three times. Maybe it's junior high school, high school and college. Mm -hmm. I've done my job hunting and I found a good job and I'm, I've gotten married. I've had my yeah. two kids and now I hate my job. Yeah. My kids don't talk yeah, to me. My wife my doesn't wife talk to me. I don't have a real relationship. Yep. My kid thinks I smell. Exactly. Yeah. And what are you going to do now? And I still got a good 15 years on that house loan. Exactly. What are you going to yeah. do now? So, I mean, there are things you can do, right? Yeah. I think that's the problem. I think one of the things is like a lack of that taking responsibility. And I know it's hard, you know, you do put yourself in situations and they're not magically you know, you don't magically, if you made a mistake with your marriage, you don't magically fix your relationship or get out of it. If you, you know, if you got a bunch of debt because of a home and a car, you don't just magically get rid of that. And, you know, of course, and at work, you don't just magically tell your boss to F off one day and stand on a desk and go, I'm not going to take it anymore. And yeah. so I get it. But I think a lot of times people don't take responsibility each, for each little step in their True. life. And, you know, maybe face up to it a little bit or do even the little, the little things you can do to improve, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So the the women though had a different answer completely. Can you guess what age they wanted to be? The age they were at, or a little, not um, quite. Well, it depends. Like most, how, okay, I'm yeah, asking how, mostly women in their late forties, early fifties, some in their sixties. It's the age just after the kids are out of the house, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like if depending on when they got married and had kids, so it's in their forties, it's some No, it's actually it, earlier for them. Think Saitama, okay, sorry. But, okay, but they're late, getting married but late earlier. Thir late thirties or thirty three. I mean, so the kids yeah, are the at kids school. Are, okay. No, sorry, the kids are at school. Oh, That's okay. out of the house. Yeah. You know what I meant by out of the house. I, I didn't actually, because I, I mean I already had the answer in my head, so when you said out of the oh, house, yeah. I yeah. meant they have their days free. Mm -hmm. And this is when I realized that wait a minute, women don't work. Women aren't given the equal opportunities to work here, but they just come hang out with me and then they go to tennis lessons and then they do this, you know, yeah. yeah, they're taking care of the kids, but there's an incredible amount of freedom they have too. Did you ever have any of them come out to more than just hang out with you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, yeah. Hey, That's would a, you have lunch with me? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Meet me in, uh, where was it? Uh, Irakcho. Okay. I, uh, Hotel Okra. Where is that? Right. Uh, so all of a sudden the shoji is closing and she said, I haven't been here since my omi eye. Oh boy. And then the first story was, yeah, 
I, I had a honeymoon in Hawaii and my husband threw knives at me or something. And so wow. I threw him back. <laughs> I'm like, and you're still married to this guy? Wow. And you know, this is the thing that the bartenders, you'd hear these things bartending. And in Japan, you'd hear them at the Ikaiwa that, okay, I remember a group of four housewives talking about, oh yeah, all my husbands have, all the husbands have girlfriends. And I'm like, so well, you guys don't want to divorce? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, the topic came up. What would you do if you were handed a million dollars tomorrow? Everyone said divorce. Right? And I'm like, come on, not, come on, really? And they're like, yeah, well, we don't want to work at Subway Sandwich. I remember that was the thing. We don't want to work at Kaiten Sushi or Subway yeah. Sandwich. I'm like, so it's a hotel. Well, when you've been a housewife for a long time, you know, doesn't mean that they're not smart or they don't have skills, but they have no, they have no work history for that time. Right. It's hard to, yeah. So, and then I remember one of them saying that her husband's girlfriend was like a first year student in college and she was really cute and so she understands. <laughs> and I was like, and here's the point where your your mind is blown, but you think, it's not my job to like set this the way I think it should be. <laughs> right? I mean, this is her this is her these are her beliefs. And it's not for me to say, you're wrong. Um it's uh it's just for me to say, wow, let's uh learn from this. Whereas, you know, in the constant, you know, they're criticizing Americans always get divorced. Your divorce rate is so high. What's the happiness rate? What is the happiness rate in the world somewhere? Yeah. Well, the whole divorce thing is tricky, right? You have those, uh, like Italy, a Catholic country where people, like, I think now you can officially get divorced, but until recently it was very hard to get a right. real divorce. So people would just, people with de facto divorce right. would still, you know, keep, technically they're still married. But... We're actually down to eleven percent on my MacBooks. How are you? We didn't talk about anything. Power. Did we? <laughs> um, yeah. What would be one of the final? Not final, final, but we have so. I want to. I want to be in your show again. Yeah, we could always do part two. There's plenty more to talk about. Yeah, I mean, there's there's NHK and photography and. Yep, I, those are the two topics I wanted to get to: is NHK and photography. But maybe instead of getting to those half-ass, let's promise to do a part two on this i think we should yeah that's a better way dun, 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 dun. That's mm. we just faded out yep that might be the wrap up for today um there was something i wanted to ask you but i think i'll save it for next time you can come out here anytime i mean it's it's a trek but um um it is cozy. I could have turned the heat on too. I'm actually getting a little chilly right it now. It is a little getting a little chilly. I didn't want to turn it on because I didn't want the uh, yeah the sound. And... Yeah, that's okay. So thank you for having me. No, thank you for you've been really awesome. Um, I'm actually one of my things I'm bad at is asking people for things like can I have an interview or things like that. And you're the one who often sent me like hey you know like I'm free these days or you know I'll let you know when I'm back in the country and so appreciate it. Well. Your first impression of me, you know, is he a bullshitter, always goes back. I think of that all the time. Yeah. Because I do have a lot of stories that people are like, ah, oh, that can't possibly be true. I didn't tell that many today. But um, the point is, when I said, yes, I would do the podcast, is that, yeah, I, I keep my word and I'm not a bullshitter. And mm -hmm. uh, that's the point, isn't it? And uh I'm going to get a website for my photography, so I'd, I'd be happy if we could meet and talk about that again. I was supposed to work on the website today. Oh, definitely. I'll keep putting that off, but um, 
I am going to be on More Stories podcast in Man, March. That should be awesome. Yeah. Um, I won't call this a rehearsal. That, <laughs> that, would, that would put you down. But, yeah. Um, but That's all uh, right. Yeah. I definitely learned some things today. I learned that I have no idea what we just talked about. And that's a good thing. It is a hard to remember. That does happen. Like when you start talking, like, what did we talk about? And yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with the chaos. I am too. I think you have to be. I think it's what makes uh, podcasting more interesting than traditional radio, where mm -hmm. you can sense like radio DJs have a certain format and structure. Right. And you can really sense them pushing that. And it's almost this, yeah, it's almost like a, I mean, it's amazing when you listen to a really good radio DJ or interviewer. Like, that's an amazing skill set. Yeah. But it's definitely, I don't know, forced is the wrong word. Maybe it's not the wrong word. But it's definitely almost unnatural. Yeah. Which I think is a big difference between that and podcasts. So sometimes it's interesting. I'll listen to podcasts that I can tell are also on the radio. Very different. Well, you're looking for structured time, right? You're yeah. having to make sure that, okay, I've got to get this in before I do this. Yeah. And... uh Something else I'd like to talk about is um, I've made uh, videos for 22 different textbooks. And the first one I did was interviews in America, just people I didn't know. And, and also the NHK interviews with Martin Scorsese. Um, that's a story. That is a story. And next time we talk, I won't be with NHK. I can say anything. All right. And by then, I'll probably have finished reading Silence. So then ah, talk about that a little bit it is for sale at every bookstore right now, isn't it? I have a copy. Oh, uh, you had one from uh, in my Kindle from no, not Kindle iBooks from a while back because it was actually recommended. That book was actually recommended to me many years ago. Yeah, and I started. I got a, at the time a paperback copy, and I started reading it. It wasn't bad or anything. I just like got distracted and so yeah. I have to come back to this. And then now with the movie, and also just like I want to read some Japanese stuff, so get back into reading it, and so it's pretty good. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. I think we'll wrap it up right there. Thank you very much. And we will be back. I hope this is interesting, interesting to someone. Ah, it should be. <laughs>